0: Welcome into episode 32 of the Mormon Hope Podcast. I'm Brandon Vaughn, along with Dave Malinak. We're two Baptist pastors that live and pastor in the heart of Mormon country, Utah. And we like to use this podcast as a means to define and defend our Christian faith, as well as compare and contrast with the faith of our LDS neighbors and friends. And this is the second episode. That we're doing kind of as a Christmas special.
1: Oh, yeah. We love Christmas.
0: <laughs> yeah, we love Hallmark movies, too. Ho, ho, ho. <laughs> but uh, we're No, looking... you love Hallmark movies.
1: Oh, you got yeah. that checkered shirt on right now. Like, you could be in one. Well, except you're wearing a
0: tie. It's not quite... It's not flannel, though, so... Yeah, that's
1: true. And you're not good-looking either. right like, which <laughs> guy's in Hallmark movies, apparently? Well, I mean, I should say the one guy in the Hallmark movies.
0: All 650 <laughs> of them. They just uh, keep the same... Cast and uh, set.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You know that they filmed some Hallmark movies down on uh, 25th Street here in Ogden. Really? Oh, yeah. That fits. In fact, they did one this summer there. Yeah, they they picked the, the place the, my hometown as the place to film them.
0: I know that just excites you.
1: Uh, oh, yeah. I was down there watching. I was throwing up the fake snow in the air. It was fun. <laughs> it was hot. I I felt bad. It was like 100 degrees, and the actors are wearing their winter coats and scarves oh, and all that goodness. stuff. But it's okay, because, I mean, it's all fake. You anyway. think they
0: would just film it in the winter when they're already going to have the snow? Yeah, yeah. But, I, but I think it's they, too cold for the camera crews. I think they keep the same cast, the same set. Oh, yeah. Same props. and. That's what we, everybody loves about it. We were talking earlier. You said they probably just have one flannel shirt. That they that's understand. right. They
1: pass it around. <laughs> They've got this doc footage of some uh, guy swinging an axe and uh, cutting down a Christmas tree, and they just insert it in a movie <laughs> right there. Yeah, I still and, like them, though. <laughs> that's right. Uh, yeah. Because at the end, the the spoiled rich girl, who's not <laughs> superficial at all, gets the guy who turns out to be a billionaire. And you know why he's a billionaire, right? Was that? Well, because he was raking leaves and he found Bitcoin. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you thought this out, hadn't
1: you? <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, it was right there under the leaves. He found it there. And I've been looking for Bitcoin all over the place, and I can't find it anywhere. <laughs> I don't know. I, I lost my wallet.
0: I said earlier today we were kind of arguing about Hallmark movies again. A constant conversation between us. Yeah, that's and, a
1: good conversation. But
0: uh, I was saying that you really have to be secure in your manhood like Hallmark movies. And pretty, pretty quick-wittedly, he said, or you're just in touch with your feminine side. <laughs> that's so, right. That's anyway, right. We, there We um,
1: go. I mean, if you just want to sit on the couch and snuggle with your wife and that's what she wants to do instead of pay attention to you, then I get it. Totally get it.
0: I, I understand
1: it, especially for her. But... <laughs>
0: I played the fit. Uh, as
1: for, far as me, as far as I go, there's bad <laughs> language for you, but that's okay. Uh, I'm not Hallmarkish. Uh, just give me a John Wayne movie anytime, and I'll take that.
0: The Grinch that Stole <laughs> Hallmark Christmas.
1: Man, if you if you have to like Hallmark movies to not be a Grinch, I guess I'm a Grinch. But my my heart shrinks when I see it. <laughs> Actually. Actually, what happens is I feel like this holocaust of brain cells just dying. In, in, I mean, whole cloth dying right there. <laughs> so uh, This mass burial
0: ground. So in a very real sense, though, I feel like we're living in a Hallmark movie because by the time this Christmas season is over, Pastor Malinac will love Hallmark movies. <laughs> oh, is that, and, is and, that the goal? Uh, uh, everything just ends so happily. I
1: love them, like the thought of one, and then I turn one on. And there, I mean, it's like three minutes in and I'm already looking for, uh, you know, CNN or <laughs> some newscasts that I could watch. BBC, I love. I mean, compared to Hallmark, I'd just much rather watch the BBC and watch them drone on and on. C-SPAN, <laughs> give me C-SPAN, please. Excitement TV. It does right sound there. like
0: something Scrooge would want. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. I the whole world yeah. is enjoying Christmas. He's watching C-SPAN. <laughs> I enjoy watching Scrooge actually it 's a pretty good story now listen, the Christmas Carol, yeah, is one of my favorite christmas yeah, Dickens
1: movies. i don 't know if you knew this, but Dickens wrote a the Christmas story for his children. He wrote it over a period of i don 't know four or five years and it 's a it 's a small book I mean for Dickens who wrote you know extensively wrote and wrote and wrote and wrote and wrote uh, but still it 's pretty impressive and uh i mean not yeah, to derail it but if you get into dickens and look yeah. at it, his character names are just a million bucks every time yeah, and people running. don't
0: realize how political that book is oh absolutely i mean everything in it speaks to the political climate in britain at the time oh yeah
1: it uh, a lot of, you know, Dickens had a pretty hard upbringing himself, yeah. and he knew the streets, and he knew the orphanages. And if you if you look at, like, Nicholas Nickleby and books like that, where he digs into and really exposes what was going on, where these orphanages oh, yeah. that preyed on people because of charity, but in reality, there was a lot of um groveling, a lot of money-grubbing. That was going on and a whole ton of abuse towards kids at that time.
0: And something I do every year at Christmas, I watch the classic one, the black and white. Oh, the old. Yes. Uh, I love it. See, I like the George C. Scott version. And uh, also I read the book by Dickens every year. Do you? Yeah, I do. Hey, good. But um, a lot of people don't realize this. I didn't know there was a book. You're, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm about to say, I know better than that. But, um, a lot of people don't realize this, but Christmas was not the holiday that it is today. Right. Until Dickens wrote that book. Yeah. Mm. And in fact, that's why they just recently came out with a movie called The Man Who Invented Christmas. Hmm. And it, it literally goes through his process of writing the book and the deadline and how it almost didn't make it out on time and how he struggled to get the characters. It's, it's really good. It's a good movie. Yeah. But, um, so yeah, we've we've gone through yeah
1: everything except Rudolph. Yeah, but <laughs> well, we can get to that later.
0: But uh, last week we did start a series that we yeah. want to continue up until uh, Christmas week, and four different episodes, and we're going to look at the incarnation from this perspective of all four gospel writers. And last week we looked at the way that John looks at the incarnation, and of course, that being that Jesus Christ is God in the flesh. It really answers. Who is Jesus as He came? Well, He's fully God, mm-hmm. yeah. And uh, God entered into His own creation to die for His creatures, which is amazing. Yeah. It's an amazing thought, and it's undeniable given the language in John. That's right, John um,
1: chapter one. Exactly, be more clear.
0: Yeah. So today we want to look at the opposite angle of that. Luke's perspective on the incarnation. Yes, Jesus was fully God, mm-hmm. but He was also fully man at the right. same time. Yeah. And so we, we need to ask the question what that means. And honestly, I think we need to start with the question of why did Jesus have to become man in the first place? Yeah. I mean, why couldn't he just unilaterally just forgive everybody or, or sweep sin under the rug? Or or why couldn't he as God, I guess? right. Uh, not only, you know, we ask the question, why couldn't he just pardon it? But if he had to die, why why couldn't he just die as God? Why did yeah. he have to become uh, the God man? Yeah,
1: we can start to answer that question first by just pointing out the fact that it had to be the way it was. He had to die as man. And we know this because, first of all, this was God's plan for our salvation. And God didn't invent a plan, just come up with something out of the blue. This was all purposeful, intentional, everything about it. And then, secondly, Uh, Because I've heard people, in fact, uh, missionaries in LDS Church have said this to me before. Well, God could have chosen any way to redeem man that he wanted to. He could have sacrificed a, a sheep. He could have sacrificed anything. He could have just said no sacrifice necessary. But Jesus actually answered that question to say this was not just an arbitrary choice. In yeah. the garden, when Jesus prayed, "If it be possible, let this cup pass from me." Nevertheless, not Thy will, but My will, but Thine be done. So, right there, we know that whatever the whatever the Son asks of the Father, the Father does. So, when He said, "If it be possible, let this cup pass from me," And God did not let it pass from him, yes, therefore we know that this is absolutely necessary this was this whole thing was essential to our salvation that Jesus become a man and
0: die as a man in our place and Luke looks at Jesus as the Son of man right and and really I, I do want to say this kind of at the outset. this can be somewhat of a and has been a controversial subject. Just because I mean obviously uh, we agree and Orthodox Christianity is always taught
1: mm-hmm.
0: that Jesus is fully God and fully man, but the question is, how much man was he how how limited right in his humanity right. was he and and right. and sometimes I think it's important to point this out Jesus Christ has never been limited in his deity, right, but he was limited in his humanity because he was fully man which in no way takes away the fact that he's never been limited in his deity in fact if he wasn't limited in his humanity he couldn't have died right and he couldn't have died for sin that's right and so when we point out the limitations in his humanity we're in no taking we're in no way taking away from his deity, and this is a, a fine line I think we need to walk sometimes because here one of the main problems with the Gnostic gospels, which is just full of heresy, is the fact that they they just made him out to just you know be God but but right. not hu- human yeah
1: Gnosticism had a couple different theories for how what what the Messiah was and how the deity and humanity interacted, um, one of course being. That um, the body of Jesus Christ, the physical body and his person, was an illusion um, that was not uh, not real flesh and blood, um, but just looked that way, appeared that way while he was for for a certain period of time while he was here on the earth. But of course, you know there are a lot of problems with that idea. Among them, uh, the fact that Jesus bled. Uh, in fact, in the garden where he bled, uh, sweat. Yes. Great drops of blood—that's not something that a, a ghost-like figure would do. But then yes. also, um, all that he suffered—you know, the uh, the cat of nine tails, the um, scourging, the the crown of not, of thorns, the um, pummeling that he took—they physically beat him with their fists. Um, the spitting in his face, the nailing him to the cross—all those things are marks of physical body, and when he died, when he was dead, and they pierced his side, water and blood came out, that's also not something that you would find um, in a an illusion, an no. illusory physical being.
0: Yes, and um, uh, just a couple of quick things, kind of a, uh, concerning the background of the book of Luke and how it looks at Jesus as the Son of Man. I mentioned this last week, but in the genealogy that's included in Luke, different than Matthew's. Mm -hmm. It goes back all the way to Adam. It links Jesus to Adam, which connects him to the entire human race. Mm -hmm. And also what's interesting about um, Luke, it's the only gospel that has any uh, writing whatsoever about the childhood of Jesus. And, of course, we're talking about uh, when he was left at the temple. Right. Right. And so not much is written about Jesus. Well, even
1: his circumcision, which was eight days, because Matthew...
0: I want to point out these couple of things, because I know you're going to talk about the incarnation itself, and you want to get there, but I do want to point these two quick things out about Luke's gospel concerning Jesus as the Son of Man. The the title, the Son of Man, is used of Jesus 27 times Mm. in the book of Luke. So Mm it's a very popular theme. Um, But also I mentioned... That uh Luke even talks about um, one of the childhood activities or events in the life of Jesus at the temple there. Um, I do want to point out because this always gets brought up that um, that Jesus never performed a miracle until he was uh, in his ministry. The first miracle was when he turned water into wine at the wedding right. of Cana. And it says that in John 2, That's this right. beginning of miracles did Jesus in Cana of yeah. Galilee. And some of the other gospels, like uh, or, or not the gospels, but the false Gnostic gospels, mm-hmm. uh, like the infancy gospel of Thomas uh, tells a story about how Jesus as a, as a boy uh, turned these clay pigeons into real <laughs> pigeons and they flew off. <laughs> but but Jesus never did that. No, He never did a miracle for the benefit of himself to That's impress right. anybody. And so I think it's important to point that out. You know, the reason that the Bible doesn't emphasize the childhood of Jesus that much is because in the grand scheme of things, I don't think it was a huge deal. I mean, obviously, he was obedient. He was in subjection to Mary and Joseph. It even says, though, so, mm-hmm. concerning the story of being left at the temple. But I don't think we need to overemphasize that. Right, right. Um, but then also, too, and I'll say this before I um, w- we get to what you were going to say, and I think this is of the utmost importance But if you read the Gospel of Luke and you miss the fact that Jesus is the second Adam, I think you've missed one of the central themes in the book of Luke Mm -hmm. because uh, the first Adam fell. He Mm -hmm. failed. And that's why Jesus had to come as the second Adam and succeed where he failed. That's right. And in fact, I think this is seen uh, and somewhat overlooked sometimes in the temptation in the wilderness in Luke chapter 4. The contrast between... Uh, the first Adam and Jesus as the second Adam is glaring in that yeah. situation because the first Adam failed God in a paradise, mm-hmm. whereas the second Adam succeeded in the wilderness. Right. The yeah. first Adam ate when he was satisfied. He had a full belly. He had everything that he could possibly need whereas the second Adam succeeded when he had been fasting for 40 days. He was starving. Yeah. And if you look, Satan tempted him the same ways. Mm-hmm. He used the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, yep. and the pride of life in both the garden and the wilderness. Yep. The first Adam fell. Second Adam succeeded. Um, and so, I mean, there's there's so much uh, to be said of that. And, and, I, and I'll yeah. say this. Uh, we, we talk about uh, some people have called it the covenant of works. Mm. And I'm fine with that because I know what it means. But when Adam um, interacted with God in the garden, we know there's some negatives that God told him not to do. Right? Don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But he also gave him some positive commands. Mm-hmm. He told him to dress and keep the garden. He told him to be fruitful and multiply. And And there's probably some other things that he commanded him to do that mm-hmm. we don't know about. But the thought process here is that if Adam had been obedient for a certain amount of time, we don't know what that is, that at some point... Uh, God would have allowed him to eat of the tree of life and live forever. And uh, obviously the Bible doesn't say that, and there is some assumption there. But the thing is, with without that positive command and without that possible reward for obedience, then Satan would have had an endless amount of time mm-hmm. by which to cause Adam to stumble. In other words, it would have almost been a far-gone conclusion. Mm-hmm. And so where... As Adam failed, the covenant of works was never closed, and Jesus has come in as the second and last Adam and succeeded where the first Adam failed, and therefore he was able to die in our place. And so Jesus had to come, Mm -hmm. because whereas Adam was the federal head of the world, Jesus became the federal head of his people. Right. Whereas in people. all in Adam die, all in Christ are made alive, and so that's I think that is one of the central themes of the Book of Luke, and it, yes. it tells us why He had to come, yeah, to not only become a man, but to live as a perfect man, yeah, and to die as the God man,
1: yeah, yeah. That's good stuff. Really good to think about um, and all that, because uh, clearly, and Luke does emphasize more. I think that Luke. Uh, it should be pointed out that Luke got a lot of his account of, and the reason his account of the birth of Jesus is so detailed, I believe, is because Luke, in the process of writing as a historian, yes, Luke had the opportunity to sit down with Mary. Probably Mary was very old at the time. I think, personally, it probably happened when Luke was with Paul, when the Apostle Paul visited Jerusalem, yes. and was accused falsely of taking an effusion into the temple because proper. Because in the
0: same vein as Mark, Luke was not one of the original disciples right. following Jesus, recording right. things firsthand. But, but as Mark was a very close associate of Peter, right. Luke was a very close associate of Paul, and so we could almost call Luke. The Gospel of Paul in, in, a, lot of, in a meaningful <laughs> yes, way. Yes, yes. But, but Luke, even when you look at Luke's opening to the the prologue, there, um, he talks about how he has gleaned from those who mm. have, who have made a careful recording, mm-hmm. and and a lot of scholars believe he's pre- he's probably referring at least in some extent to Mark and Matthew mm-hmm. because they were probably written before yeah. Luke, and uh, obviously all this. Is under the hand of inspiration. Right. But yes. inspiration doesn't mean that God puts somebody in a trance and no, their eyes roll back no. in their head and they just The holy start men right, of God yes. spake
1: as they were moved exactly. by the Holy Ghost. Yes. So clearly, uh, God was stamping his approval on Luke's research. Yes. Uh, but it's clear, it's evident that Luke had a lot of detail, which he must have gotten from uh, Mary. And, and as I said, at the time when Paul was falsely accused of taking an an Ephesian onto the temple proper. I believe that that time uh, Luke had the opportunity to sit down with Mary, and I think Mary shared a lot of these details about Zacharias and Elizabeth, about Anna, uh, about Simeon, um, all of those things that are included here in the book of Luke. And... um, then, of course, Mary's personal thoughts about these things were a couple of different times Luke says that Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. These are not this would not be a first hand account that Luke would have available to him. This is something that Mary must have told him that yeah. it took her a long time to think through all these things, and I'm sure that this was number one it would have been like a whirlwind to her, yes, and um number two there was a lot explained to her, but there was a lot. You would have a lot of questions if if you were visited by an angel with the message that you're visited with.
0: Yeah, exactly. And But, but all this is within the process. It's what God used mm-hmm. as a part of the process of inspiration. And so That's we right. can trust that it's God-breathed. Uh, but I think it's interesting to, to look at the different processes like that. Yeah.
1: Yeah, it's um, pretty fascinating. And uh really we get um a, a wonderful account in Luke starting with the virgin birth and the virgin birth is essential to what we're talking about here it is it's the virgin birth the doctrine of the virgin birth is one of those doctrines that it it provides us with a clear a, a clear way of s- dividing between true believers and Oh, yeah. False believers or false doctrine. Because denial of the virgin birth is to deny one of the most basic and obvious um doctrines. It's it's a necessary doctrine Doctor, not that, I mean, I I wouldn't say that anything in the Word of God is non-essential. Everything that's in there is essential. I think that we get messed up when we start talking about tertiary issues and things like that. If it's in the Word of God, it's necessary. But this one thing, the virgin birth, um, there's no room for disagreement on this. Uh, Jesus, if he was born any other way than through the womb of a virgin, then number one, the Bible is telling a lie. Because it's so clear about it. That's right. And number two, it means that Jesus is less than what he is. He's not fully God. It was impossible that Jesus be God and born of a man. Uh, If he was born of the seed of a man, then he would uh, would not be God, period. But also the fact that he's born of Mary... is his connection to the human race, and that is where his humanity comes into play. So just to eliminate all doubt on this, of course, we have the prophet Isaiah who prophesied, Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. And Um, And that's a wonderful prophecy, but of course there are the Bible critics who've gone in and said that, well, it shouldn't be a virgin, it should be a young woman. Then we come to um, the gospel according to Luke, and in Luke's gospel, uh, the the angel, Gabriel, goes to Mary and says to her, tells her, um, "'Hail thou that art highly favored, the Lord is with thee, blessed art thou among women.'" And when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying, and cast in her mind what manner of salutation this should be. And the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb and bring forth a son, and shall call his name Jesus. He shall be great, and shall be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David, and he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there shall be no end." But this is the amazing thing. The angel never mentions that Mary is a virgin. Doesn't say that to her at all. How we know that Mary is a virgin is because she asked a really obvious question for a virgin to ask. (laughs) She said, uh, how shall this be, seeing I know not a man?
0: That's not just talking about a head knowledge, folks.
1: That's right. And she was not thinking, Hmm. I wonder when God and I are going to get together. She was not thinking that at all. No, There was no thought in her mind that something like that would happen. She recognized that, number one, this would be an absolute necessity that she conceive seed while yet a virgin. She knew that had to be the case. And so then she wants to know how. How is this going to be? So she's not thinking, is there going to be a man? Should I get, you know, should Joseph and I go ahead and get married? Um, She's not thinking any of this. She just wants to know how. How is this going to be? So there's... And it
0: wasn't, and I think it's important to point out too, um, when you read the narrative of Mary in this situation, in some ways it's similar to to that of Zechariah in the temple. And he mm-hmm. asked the question, too, and got punished for it. But <laughs> yes. see, he asked the angel in doubt. That's right. She asked God in faith. That's right. And she, she never is, had a doubt it was going to come to pass. She's saying, Lord, how are you going to bring this to pass?
1: Genuinely yeah. wanted to know how the process was going to be. And, of course, then, um, and I say this for the sake of our LDS friends, there's some question um, among the LDS regarding Uh, the virgin birth, and um, how this took place. And uh, one of the things that the LDS Church insists on is that the reason Jesus is the only begotten Son of God is because he is the only person in this world that is the product of a divine father and a human mother. So there's, at the very least, an implication That God, the Father, Heavenly Father, um, went into the the Virgin Mary to have intercourse. Now, number one, the problem with that is that she would not then be a a, a virgin. And Luke makes it very clear, abundantly clear, that she did not know a man until she she and Joseph came together. And uh, they did not come together, though, as husband and wife until she brought forth her firstborn son, until she brought forth Jesus. So there's that, but number two, what the angel tells Mary is that the Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Now, that come upon, some have taken um, to be a euphemism for a sexual relationship, but in fact, the coming upon is also, that same Greek word is used in Acts chapter 2, now, uh, when the Holy Ghost came upon all that are in the room, so he did not come the Holy Ghost did not come upon all those that are in the room um, in a sexual sense. He yeah. came upon them in a supernatural sense. And that's the same way that the Holy Ghost came upon Mary and the um, highest overshadowed. And that overshadowing, interestingly enough, also shows up at the Mount of Transfiguration. And there was that overshadowing that took place there, again, not a sexual thing. Yeah, that line
0: uh, of thinking is so blasphemous. It's perverse, I absolutely mean, to think, perverse. To think that God could have some type of sexual relations with his own creatures, like the implications of that just right. makes me cringe. Right, that's right. So, but we do want to point that out because that is a common belief among the LDS Yeah but we don't believe that and i don't think you can find that in the scripture
1: no no and in fact it it degrades god it makes him more like a hindu god and or the gods the greek gods that were really perverse really filthy um re- very unholy um the true and living god is a holy abundantly holy uh, magnificently holy and god
0: that's a great distinction to make because you know the greek and roman gods had uh, gods that were half God, half man. That's right. Achilles. God, God, Jesus was not half God, half man. No, no, he that's right. He was fully God, fully man.
1: That's right. In fact, the Book of Hebrews in Chapter One expresses for us um, what the, the theologians call it. Here's the big word: the hypostatic union. This is this is where we impress. I knew that was coming. <laughs> yeah. Well, we can't have an episode where we don't use at least one poly hypostatic
0: union of Christ.
1: <laughs> the hypostatic union is simply the, the doctrine that the Bible teaches that Jesus Christ is fully God and fully man. And some of this is mystery, um, just as the doctrine of the Trinity is hard for us as humans to to grasp or comprehend. Uh, But where the Bible says in Hebrews 1 and verse 3, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, the word hypostasis is used in that verse to describe that. It's a Greek word that we get the word from that speaks of this um, perfect, and it's not a mixture of God and man. Um, There's a distinction of the deity of Christ and the humanity of Christ so that the two are not mingled with each other, but they are found in the same person. Now, this is a wonderful thing. I'll throw this out. I read this in a commentary, and I have never been able to find it since I read it, but I never forgot it, uh, where um, we can look at Jesus, and we can say that in the person of Jesus Christ for the first time since Adam sinned, God was able to meet man and have peace. That there could be peace between God and man. It was the first time since Adam sinned that God wow. met man and the two were perfectly united. Wow.
0: Wow. In the person of Jesus Christ. And on that same note, somebody has cleverly pointed out that the first question in the Old Testament from God to man is where are you? Mm-hmm. when God asked Adam, where are they, Adam? The first question in the New Testament from man to God is the Magi asking Herod, where, where is, is he? Yeah. Where is he? That's a, that's and, a great thought. It, it
1: is. It is. And it shows the craftsmanship of the Word of God. Yes. That, uh, there, this is not just thrown together. It's not just the Word of man. It is the Word of God. It's, yeah. a, it's a glorious thing. So then I think that the issue that we wanted to get to is why why it is necessary that jesus become a man in order to save us isaiah the prophet said decisively that i am god and there is none else there's no other god beside me a just god and a savior there is none else beside me. So I'm not quoting exactly, but in in Isaiah's prophecy, he makes it abundantly clear that there is no savior except for God himself. Yeah. So why then couldn't God simply save us? Why did he need to become a man? What what is that all about? Is that just mystery? Or do we have some indication, some clue in Scripture? So if God were to snap his finger and make sin just go away.
0: He's right? unjust.
1: That's right. And so then, well, what, what reason would there be for us to reject a life of sin um, if God is just going to snap his finger and, and redeem us all and forgive us all? A question I like to ask, and I think I asked it on a previous podcast, If you sin against me, um, which actually, I mean, anyway, we're (laughs) we're not going to talk about that. But um, if you sin against me and you come and say, hey, I was wrong, would you forgive me? It is not – no one has to die for me to forgive you. But that's because forgiveness is being extended horizontally Yes, from one man to another man. We're on the same level. We're both sinners. We're both – under a sentence of death by nature. So why why cannot Jesus Christ forgive us the same way? Why can't God? Because God is altogether higher than us, transcends yeah. us. He is holy. He has no sin that needs to be forgiven. And so it is the forgiveness that is extended by the one who's truly offended and truly sinned against but also God. And so God, when he presented himself to Moses on Mount Sinai, um, he presented himself as merciful um, and uh, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, and at the same time said that will by no means clear the guilty. And the way that God could say this without there being a laughable contradiction, self contradiction in it, is because. God has provided a way so that sin can be punished and the sinner can be forgiven. Yeah. And that is by offering Jesus Christ for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Yeah. So it was necessary that a man come on the scene who, first of all, demonstrates in his life that he's qualified to to be the sin-bearer. I've often
0: said that, you know, Jesus didn't just die in our place. He lived in our place.
1: Yes, absolutely. Perfectly kept the law of God. He did what Adam could not do. So he demonstrated that it could have been done
0: because he as a man did it. Well, that really goes back to the covenant of works with Adam that I talked about. I mean, theoretically, if Adam or any of his descendants had been able to perfectly fulfill the righteous demands of God's law, then not only would they not have been condemned by God, but they could have saved humanity. But that's the problem. Right. All have sinned to come short of the glory of God. That's right.
1: That's right. So – God did not present Adam with an impossibility when he put him in the Garden of Eden. Um, And he isn't condemning man. He didn't make man so that man couldn't do it and then condemn man for not doing it. That's not what happened. Jesus as man demonstrates that this is something that could be done. But, of course, it was his deity that made it possible for him to overcome the weakness of his humanity. Um, So he... He demonstrated his qualifications. He was a lamb without spot, without blemish. So then he is qualified to be the sin bearer. But then we also have to remember that it was not okay for God or even an angel to die for man, because it had to be a man who died in man's place. This is what um, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 15. For since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. There had to be a man then to overcome death itself. And that's what Jesus did.
0: And I made the point earlier that uh, Jesus was never limited in his deity, but he was limited in his humanity, which is why he was able to die. Uh, God, without the human nature, could not die. Mm-hmm. And so that's, I mean, obviously we talked about his justice. He can't just wink at sin. It had, you know, it has to be punished. Uh, the wages of sin, the debt of sin, has to be paid. Um, but another obstacle is the fact that God can't die. So right.
1: that's right, well, and we see that on the cross because and this is something that Jesus emphasized. He said it to Pilate, um he said it to his disciples no one no man takes my life from me, yes, I lay it down, yes, uh, and so Jesus did in fact, um it is the glory of the crucifixion that man threw at Jesus, his most vicious attacks, um uh, his most vicious tortures. Uh, His uh, everything that he could throw uh, that mankind could throw at Jesus Christ in order to kill him. They did everything they could to kill him and they did not kill him. We know that they did not kill him because Jesus at the last said, father, into thy hands, I commend my spirit. And then he said, it is finished. And he breathed out
0: his life. He breathed it out Well, we're going through the book of Mark and have been for almost two years on Sunday mornings. And I just preached about this this past Sunday. Uh, We're to the part where uh, they're headed to Gethsemane. Mm. And this is right before Jesus' arrest. And he tells the disciples, he he quotes from Zechariah 13 and verse 7 I will smite the shepherd, Mm -hmm. and the sheep shall be scattered. And I asked the church, I said, Who is the I I, that smites the shepherd?
1: Well,. (laughs) Isaiah 53 tells us who it is. Please the Lord to bruise him.
0: Well, and my point was just how much in control of all that Jesus was. I mean, even from when, when Judas left the table to go get the soldiers and betray him, Satan enters into Judas and Jesus looks at him and says, what you do, do it quickly. Mm-hmm. And my, my question to the church is kind of a brain teaser. Was Jesus talking to Judas or Satan or both of them? Uh, yeah, yeah. And even, even when the soldiers come to arrest him, they fall backwards. Right. He has to give them permission to arrest him. <laughs> That's right. I mean, just from beginning to end, right. he was in control of that whole thing. Yes. Yeah, it's
1: it's a wonderful thing, the the deity and humanity of our Lord Jesus Christ, all in one person um, and all that he did. So my favorite passage for the Christmas story is Luke yes. chapter 2 and um, even though it's not Christmas this week you think we ought to uh, read through maybe with some commentary
0: hold on let me get my uh, let me get my hot chocolate and my, my flannel pajamas <laughs> and
1: you already have the flannel pajamas on <laughs> you just threw a tie on over top of them uh, <laughs> uh, we have right now we're preparing uh, for a big multi-church um christmas banquet for friday night the
0: gym looks like narnia
1: (laughs) it does as lampposts and uh, christmas trees and and the ladies of our church really go all out for this uh, particular um banquet and uh we have i think about eight churches that are coming to it and uh i think we'll have about a dozen pastors at
0: this that's fantastic and
1: uh we're expecting close to 200 people for it and uh, lots of that's a mega church in utah (laughs) (laughs) yeah but um you know we we really enjoy christmas also in our family um our our kids really when they were little we did this and they would get really impatient on sun on christmas morning The first thing we do, we gather around the living room and we read the Christmas story. And uh, the anticipation would just build and build and build. And then as the kids uh, came to develop a personal relationship with God through Christ themselves, then it became an insistence, a demand that we read the Christmas story. They all want to participate in it. and read parts, and I really enjoy Luke's account. Part of it is that it's a very human story of his birth, everything about it. And you think about, um, well, maybe we should just comment as we go, and we could read through it. Just read through it. All right. Uh, We'll read through a little bit, and we'll trade back and forth. We didn't make any agreement on this beforehand. You just shut your Bible and put it down. Um, so you got to get that back up, and um, but uh, we can kind of have a rolling commentary, and then um, the next person can read after that. Okay. All right, I'll begin. And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. Oh, I got to pause right there because there is something very human in that. First of all, imagine this: a ruler demanding well i mean luke uses the word taxed we understand it to be an enrollment IRS, for a tax yeah. right yeah. they were basically registering yeah. for for the tax uh, but imagine a, a, a ruler and authority uh commanding the people to get ready to be taxed um but it's interesting that it starts out that way because god could have you know an angel visited joseph an angel visited mary Clearly, God was not lacking in ways to send messages to Mary and Joseph to orchestrate events for the birth of Christ. But God chose, in this case, to send the message through the most powerful man in the world, Caesar Augustus, probably the most powerful Roman emperor in history. And Caesar Augustus is the one who gives the command that sends Jesus to Bethlehem so that Scripture would be
0: fulfilled. Yeah, Micah 5 and verse 2. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Go ahead. It says, and this taxing was first made when Serenius was governor of Syria, and all went to be taxed, every one into his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth, unto Judea, unto the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David." to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. So I got to comment on that
1: one too. So think about just how normal everything except the manger. Okay. Yeah. The swaddling clothes, this is I mean my kids, oh uh, all five of them when they were born, were swaddled in a blanket, yeah, uh, it's and and those nurses are pretty amazingly like like rolling a burrito <laughs> with them, but the swaddling clothes was not unusual in that day, and we tend to think that this was something different. What was unusual was that he was born in a manger,
0: which is basically a feed trough, right, um that's right, you know that's not where. I would want any of my children's first bed no. to be, but it just shows the humility. That's
1: right. right. If Jesus had been laid in a royal crib, the message, and this is this is something that I mean. Here I'll use another big word: motif. Um, the idea of motif is just just like a Hallmark movie. They they, they set this stage a yeah. certain way. There's, in fact, as I understand, there's one stage for all six hundred fifty some Hallmark movies, um, but. They set the stage, and then you know what is about to happen. So the laying him in a royal crib would send a clear message that Jesus came for the elite, for the, the royalty, for the important, the rich, the, the wealthy. But instead, he's laid in a manger. That's more common even than the poorest people in the world. So so this is something more uncommon, I should say. This is This is as low as you go. And the message clearly is that he came for the lowest of us.
0: Yes. That's proven further by the characters that we're about to be introduced to here. That's exactly right. Go ahead.
1: And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them. And they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy which shall be to all people for unto you is born this day in the city of David, a savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. Should we pause there? Yeah. Think about this. Shepherds were uh, not allowed on the temple yeah. because their work made them ceremonial and clean.
0: They were the lowest of the low. They were as far they, as employment went. Yeah, yeah.
1: yeah, if you think about you know um, the mechanics, the construction workers of our day, the the um, shepherds would have been rough. They probably were brawlers. They lived out in the um, open air. They took care of the sheep. They fought off the wolves. They probably fought with each other. They probably cursed and swore and told. Uh, dirty jokes and so on, but it was them. And And this is the amazing thing, because it's not like there weren't any religious leaders or authorities around. We know that when the wise men came, Herod called for them, and they knew exactly where Jesus would be born, Yes, but they couldn't get off their duff and go see him. There was nothing that motivated them to go and find this Messiah that supposedly was long expected and they were all looking for.
0: And I'm going to read this next section because you're about to beat me to the next point here. (laughs) But um, it says in verse 13, And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. And it came to pass as the angels were gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds said one to another, Let us now go even unto Bethlehem and see this thing which has come to pass, which the Lord hath made known unto us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. And when they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all they that heard it wondered at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. And the shepherds were turned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told unto them. And honestly, uh, Pastor Malinak, what we just read to me, has been one of the greatest comforts to me in all of my ministry. I mean, I I was literally, I remember a time in my life I was struggling in ministry. And, you know, if you ever go a long time, and I know uh, most pastors will resonate what I'm fixing to say, where you don't see any fruit, nobody's getting saved, the church isn't growing, you know, you feel like a failure. And I was reading this one day, and, man, it just, this truth just plowed through my heart. But the, you for just a brief second, the shepherds were allowed to kind of have the curtain of heaven pull back, and all of heaven is celebrating mm. the incarnation of God, and yet the world in Israel, and Bethlehem, they slept through it. Yeah, different. And so what that shows me is that some of the things that cause heaven to celebrate, this world will never so much as acknowledge it. Right,
1: that's right. I cannot imagine that the angels and their great choir, the multitude of the heavenly host that sang, and the brightness of those angels, I I just can't imagine that the people in Bethlehem and Jerusalem, which was very close by, didn't see something. They had to have seen something. They had to have heard what the shepherds experienced. They had to have known this was unusual for shepherds to be glorifying and praising God like this. And
0: yet these lowly shepherds and eventually these pagan Gentile magi, which that's going to fit into next (laughs) week. Yeah, Matthew. Matthew. But um yeah, I mean right under their nose. Yeah. The incarnation of God. mm mm-hmm. And people yawned. Yeah. Couldn't care less. And yeah. yet all of heaven is celebrating. Yeah. It's yeah, it's amazing. It's amazing. And and so, you know, as we kind of come in for a landing, I do want to point this out about Luke's gospel as uh, you know, highlighting Jesus as a son of man. I found this really interesting and I don't think we need to overlook this. But Luke is the only gospel that highlights the humanity of Jesus even after the resurrection mm-hmm. because most specifically I'm referring to uh, Luke 24 and verse 39 where Thomas is like in disbelief that mm-hmm. he's looking at the resurrected Christ and he, he basically encourages him to feel. He yeah. said you know a spirit doesn't have flesh and bones as you see me have mm-hmm. so it wasn't any kind of uh, spiritual resurrection Yeah, and so I, I think it's important to point this out the incarnation is still a reality, yeah, and it will be an eternal that's reality. Right. Jesus Christ is seated in perfect deity and yet glorified humanity, and still has the print of the nails yes. in his hand, and yes. still has the print of the nail in his feet. And that's that's what it means when it says one day that we'll be like him, yeah. For we shall see him as he is. Uh, you know, the people that are with Jesus today, they're in there in soul, mm-hmm. they're with him in soul, they're very conscious of what's going on. But one day, uh, at the resurrection of the just, the the soul and body is going to come together as a glorified body, as he is now. Mm-hmm. And so that's what he means talking about the first fruits of them that slept. Mm-hmm. And so that's uh, that's an amazing truth. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. It's beautiful. It's a glorious story. It's what I love about Christmas. Um, all joking aside, I just love the opportunity to spend a month dwelling on what Jesus Christ, who he is, what he's done uh, for us, and the meaning behind this wonderful birth, the birth of our Savior,
0: Jesus Christ. He had to become a man. Well, let me reemphasize that. He didn't have to do anything. He He obligated himself to do it. He could have left us in our sin. That was definitely a viable option. But... His obligated him obligating himself, yes. certainly I mean that by means the promise he had to do it. by the promise he made that's right in genesis three fifteen that's right the the proto evangelion the, the first good news, the first mention of the gospel, yeah. is in the same chapter as the fall,
1: well, and then remember also that the lamb is slain from the foundation yes. of the world, and so all along this has been god's plan, his intention. Yes. And um, so, really a glorious thing. We want, you know, our LDS listeners to understand the things that we're talking about, and we hope that you've been helped and blessed by hearing this, and uh, we, you know, we would like to invite you to come to the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who was born in Bethlehem, the one who was raised in
0: Nazareth. Yeah, I think a, a good way to close this episode is going back to that episode with Thomas, where he sees the resurrected Christ and... Um, he, he falls down before the Lord, and he worships him. He says, my Lord and my God. Mm, yeah. and now, if Jesus is, he's, we've talked about the fact he's fully man. Mm-hmm. But if he also wasn't fully God, then he would be robbing from God because he accepted that worship. And not only did he not condemn Thomas, he congratulated him. He basically yes. said, Thomas, you finally get it. That's and right. then he said, blessed are those who believe who have not seen. Yeah. That would be us. Yeah. And so uh, repent and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, his finished work on the cross, Mm -hmm. dying as the Mm God-man. There's never been a greater story that's told, and it's true. Yeah. It's true. That's right. God came to this earth as a man, and Luke highlights that so well. And so next week, um, I think we'll probably look at Mark. I think we'll go with Mark's view of the incarnation. I know some of you are saying, well, it doesn't even mention the birth of Christ. (laughs) And so how can you possibly make that connection? It's there. Yeah. It's there, and we're going to look at it. And so, uh, we'd love to hear from you—questions, comments, criticisms. Uh, maybe if you just want to uh, send a recording of you singing some Christmas carols, <laughs> who knows? I don't. know. Yeah, care. we
1: could play. <laughs> we could sing.
0: Well, we'd like to keep our listening audience. <laughs> but um, anyway, That's you right. can you can email me directly. My email address is preacherofgrace—that's one word—preacherofgrace at yahoo or visit our church website. I'm the pastor of Grace Baptist Church in Logan, Utah. Our website is gracebaptistlogan.org. Pastor Malinak.
1: And our church is Berean Baptist Church. It's B-E-R-E-A-N, Berean Baptist Church of Ogden, Utah. If you Google that, you'll find us. Our website is berean-baptist-church.com. And then my email, personal email address is pmalinak, P is in pastor, malinak, all one word, At gmail.com. Till next
0: week, we love you and God bless.